Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're very welcome. My name is Alan Campbell, and this evening our topic is philosophy and devotion. The format of the evening, I expect you, most of you are familiar with it. If I could present to you what I have on philosophy and devotion for the first half of the evening, we can then have an opportunity for some tea and coffee, and then if you wish, we can come back here and we can discuss this topic further. We can answer any questions, if there are answers for them, or generally discuss what's been presented. Firstly, I'd like to look at these two words, the topic that we have before us this evening, philosophy and devotion. Many of us here are attending philosophy classes. Are we all attending, or some? Yes? Yes? So, very good, right. So, uh, philosophy, we will have begun to discover, is a lover of wisdom. Thank you, yes. The love, study, or pursuit of wisdom. And that, for us, may beg a question as to what wisdom is. I would suggest to you that wisdom involves action. It does involve being able to act. It does involve understanding, it does involve emotion, it does involve a love, and it does involve knowledge. And really, wisdom or a wise act or a wise thing is the coming together of these three aspects. Knowledge in the moment of action with an appropriate and suitable measure of love. Wisdom. So that's, as philosophers, what we're interested in. A love, study, and pursuit of this wisdom. Ultimately, perhaps bringing us to consider this wonderful question, what am I? What am I? Devotion, our second word this evening, devotion. My understanding is it, there's two words here, the de, DE aspect is to do with full, complete, a fullness. And devotion, we receive a similar word, vow, comes from the same root as votion, to take a vow. So this complete, fully taking of a vow we could understand devotion to be. That's what the Oxford English Dictionary is giving us, those sort of directions. We may pursue our study of philosophy in various ways, uh, depending on our individual nature. So there may be said to be a number of paths or ways in which we would tend to pursue this discovery of philosophy, this discovery of wisdom. These paths or ways are said to be related to our nature, so they're quite natural to us. There's no difficulty with them. We may easily recognize these three aspects of our nature. Activity is totally natural to all human beings. And some of us are a lot more active than others. 
and that's just the way it is. So through activity is one of our natural ways. We would also recognize, I think, that there's very much a wanting to know in human nature. We all want to know, we want to know something most of the time. We're familiar with a child questioning. What is that? What's this? What's that for? Where did that come from? Some people indeed just want to know. And they're quite happy not doing an awful lot. Just happy to know. This is another nature, another natural aspect of our human nature. This wanting to know. Knowledge seeking. Thirdly, there's said to be the devotional aspect of man. Man's heart, if you like. which lends a quality to all action. The devotional or emotional center in man leads to quality in everything he does. Now these three aspects of our nature, the active, the knowledge-seeking, and the devotional aspect, are not equal in each individual. One will tend to dominate over the other two. So quite naturally, one aspect of our nature will tend to dominate over the other two. So we may be primarily active and a little devotional and not very much interested in knowledge at all. We may have a nature which is very devotional, a little active, and some knowledge. We may have a nature in which we simply seek knowledge, a minimal amount of action, and some devotion. But we really want to know. So it is knowledge and reasoning that we're interested in. So that is where we find ourselves, by and large. Is that familiar at all to any of us? these three aspects of our nature. Uh, devotional, it, it lends a quality. A qu- just the way you write with a pen, the way you turn the door handle, the way you speak. The emotional aspect of man lends a quality to all else that you do. It's the heart, if you like a heart that's brought to whatever is presented to it. Yeah? Good. Okay. Well, whichever aspect of our nature dominates in us will be natural to us. Just as one person is naturally right-handed and another naturally left-handed. That which dominates is our particular strength. And the other two aspects of our nature will complement 
and strengthen that dominant aspect. Just by way of introduction, we may be familiar with Mr. McLaren. Have we heard the name of Leon McLaren and the Shankaracharya? Okay. Just by brief introduction, I will be quoting from both of these gentlemen in the course of the evening. And just to introduce that to you, Mr. McLaren made contact with a gentleman, Shantananda Saraswati, in India, who was the Shankaracharya of northern India. And Mr. McLaren traveled to him in 1965 and traveled a number of years thereafter. And during these conversations, he would put his questions to Shantananda Saraswati and receive answers. And much of the quotations which I'll be using this evening are quotations from these conversations, which the school has found to be very valuable in terms of helping students and developing our understanding and our pursuit of philosophy. So just to put those quotations and where they've come from in a little context for you, many may be familiar with that, but perhaps some not. Shantananda Saraswati gave a definition of devotion, which I'd like to read to you. He says, we can take devotion to be the gentle art of unity. This gentle art of unity, this way of devotion, is a gentle way, a liberal, extensive, and wide way. It is plain and simple, the shortest and the most economical way, called the highway or the king's way, for it accommodates everything. It is as wide as creation itself. So, devotion, we can take it to be a gentle art of unity. This is essentially, isn't it, what you and I are looking for, a way of describing what we are looking for, a unity, a way of discovering a gentle art of unity in all that we do, in whatever situation we find ourselves in. We're familiar with happiness, we find that comes and goes. And I'm sure we're familiar with pain. We find that comes and goes. Perhaps we're not so familiar with bliss. Bliss may be said to be happiness without an object. So the being is simply happy in itself, without any external impulse to create that, that happiness. And we proceed in our pursuit of this unity and wisdom through the various ways available to us, through knowledge, action, and devotion. And this evening we're going to look specifically at devotion. Perhaps 
a brief word of apology is due at this stage for those who consider themselves to be knowledge seekers, to the intellectually reasoning aspect of man, those who may not have that much time for simple devotion. So I hope those knowledge seekers and those ardent reasoners among us will bear with me and just allow these words on devotion to be heard, because it is good to know as much as we may about devotion. Devotion is essential to us all. Of course, so is knowledge and so is action. Those who take to the way of devotion put their heart into service. They use all their energies in that direction. They would see whoever or whatever is presented to them as an opportunity to unite with that and this can be done immediately through the heart, through devotion. Traditionally, the phrases used are that you would see everyone and everything as your own self. Everyone and everything would be presented to you as the Lord. Everyone and everything presented to you as God. And there's really no distinction here when we use these words. God, Lord, yourself. Shantananda Saraswati tells us that man is full of devotion. One of his statements. Man is full of devotion. And this we may recognize. We can see it clearly in a young child. Phenomenal, well, we say phenomenal, but it's totally natural. 100% devotion to its mother. No question, no, nothing else enters its consciousness. So if man is full of devotion, where does this devotion go to as man gains in years? Man is full of devotion. How may we see it? What happens to it? Could the question be that this devotion somehow gets diffused? And what do we, in fact, become devoted to? There is obviously devotion in the being because, well, we're clearly devoted to come and sit here this evening and hear something about it. But how can we access that? It said one of the keys may lie in what happens when you have nothing else to do. When there are those quiet moments in life what comes to mind? This could well be an indication as to what we're devoted to. What is resting in the heart and rises in the mind 
when there is nothing else to do or to be concerned about. Perhaps it's that ring, that piece of jewellery that I've just been given. Perhaps it's the mortgage that I just raised in order to buy the ring. <laughs> you know, perhaps it's the overdrawn bank account. Perhaps it's the next holiday. Perhaps it's the car. Perhaps it's the house. What arises? What am I devoted to? Perhaps it's the next pint. What the mind and the heart return to again and again tend to be what we are devoted to. And as we all know, worldly things bring pleasure and pain. We feel pleasure at the gain and we feel pain at the loss. But what can we say of devotion, of a lasting happiness? Does any of this bring bliss? Does any of this lead to the gentle art of unity? Not really. If we want true happiness, if we need to find this unity, which we do, and we want this bliss, then we do need to take some direction we need to find some way of living in the world and yet gaining this wisdom. Jesus has warned us, hasn't he, of this many times. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all else will be added unto you. These phrases are familiar to us. Shantananda Saraswati also has this to say about our state. He says, The whole of our mind has for so long been associated with the outer world that it has quite forgotten the existence and let alone the language of the inner world. The moving mind looks for happiness in getting and experiencing things. These do not suffice, for when the mind has one thing, it immediately rushes after another, but the still mind finds happiness in everything. This kingdom within, or heaven within, is the reservoir of peace and bliss. So that's what he says. The moving mind looks for happiness in getting and experiencing things. Again, quite familiar to us. 
and they do not suffice, for when the mind has one thing, it immediately rushes after another. Isn't that what you find? Once you have the diamond, you look for the emerald. Isn't that right? <laughs> How familiar. So how do we seek this kingdom or this stillness within? The still mind, what does he say? The still mind finds happiness in everything. This is the reservoir of peace and bliss. The first aspect of devotion is one of hearing. Shantananda Saraswati has given us nine aspects which I'd briefly like just to present before you so that we consider devotion in as full as possible a way. He does present before us nine aspects and he says any one, any one of these nine aspects is quite sufficient to reach unity. And he has this to say at the beginning. He says, in the world, man is confronted with mental and material worlds. He finds himself very small in comparison to the universe. His capacity is little, his energy meager. He cannot comprehend the universe fully, and whatever he does comprehend, he cannot control or command. Naturally, he wants to join in, and he looks for someone greater than himself, and this search has landed him with a concept of the Absolute, who is the most powerful and most merciful. This absolute is said to have all glory, wealth, goodness, service, power, fame, knowledge, and detachment, and makes it the greatest to look towards. This gives him the creative, sustaining, and regulating power over all beings of the universe. Now, when one comes to hear something about this Absolute, and this attracts one, this is the first step in devotion. And we find lots written, lots to be heard about the Lord, the Absolute, Call it what you will. This hearing attracts one. This is the first step of devotion. I have a very simple quotation this evening as an aspect of hearing. Words from William Shakespeare. He says, What is your substance whereof you are made? that millions of strange shadows on you tend. Since every one 
hath every one one shade, and you but one can every shadow lend. So this hearing, hearing something of the absolute, of God, of the self, and this attracts one. This hearing is attractive. You know, like the bedtime story. You know, you always remember where we got to when mom or dad sits down to go on with the story. We'd all, you always remember where we got to and keen to know what's next. So when we begin to hear aspects of the absolute, of the self, of God, which are attractive to us, and we're interested in them. That's the first aspect of devotion, this hearing. I've got a diagram which I should have perhaps opened earlier for you. It's on the last sheet of this flip chart, and I'm afraid I had to sort of squeeze it onto that sheet. So now... So here we are. I'm just beginning to, to run through these nine aspects of devotion. It'll just act as an aid a memoir as we go along. Hearing is the first. Singing, you'll see, is the second. To sing devotional songs, songs of praise. I have a short tape, very short minute or two tape to play a song of praise. This is a little story which I'd love to share with you. Mr. McLaren, I remember him saying one time, he said, remember, imagine if you walked down the street and you went up to someone and said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Can you imagine the response you'd get? <laughs> As, you know, you walk up to someone and say this. I mean, just imagine. But set it to music, and let's hear it.
Well, how about that? Amazing quality, isn't it? The stillness, the beauty, the clarity. So sung, sung, magnificent. Do you notice the stillness in the room? Now we've heard it. You and I just listened. She sang it. So we've just heard. What an effect just hearing can have. Were we to sing it, goodness knows. <laughs> so there we have the first two aspects of devotion. Hearing and singing. Singing songs of praise. Thirdly, we have remembering, memory, strengthening memory. We would all acknowledge that we should remember more. Isn't that right? Memory is always a little weak. We should strengthen our memory. So the third aspect of devotion is memory, is strengthening of memory, remembering. So what you remember, you tend to become devoted to. You may strengthen this understanding, you may strengthen this knowledge of yourself by remembering aspects of it, and so strengthen the memory. So the memory becomes this mental store on which one may rely because all what is heard all what is sung may then be remembered in remembering we strengthen memory don't we when you remember a loved one you strengthen that love for that person. So this remembering strengthens memory. So memory then becomes a mental store of different aspects and qualities of this absolute which may be called upon, which may be remembered, brought to mind and strengthen the being of the individual. A bit like assume a virtue if you have it not. You may copy, you may remember, and you may practice. So one reflects again and again upon these aspects of the Absolute that one has heard. And this reflecting, or this remembering, not unfamiliar to us at all in the Christian tradition. Uh, I'm sure all of us are still familiar with a reading for the day, a biblical verse for reading each day. On the radio we have a thought for the day, 
and that's for the day. So it is to be thought on, or it can be thought on, throughout the day. So this having recourse and strengthening of memory is not unfamiliar to us. Well, not totally unknown to us, but it may be unfamiliar because we don't practice it. Or we don't realize that we are practicing remembering perhaps what we do remember. We don't realize that we are strengthening this memory and this devotion in our hearts with what we do remember. Fourthly, a devotee begins to take some initiative. Begins to take some initiative himself. He offers himself in humility. There is, as it were, sufficient has been heard and sufficient sung and some memory has been established. And now the individual wants to make an effort himself. So some aspect of service begins to happen and this is direct service of the Absolute by the individual. And this begins. There is a sense of mercy and grace of the Absolute coming to the individual at this stage and one experiences a relationship with the Lord and has the sense of being cared for, being protected or provided for. The providence, the abundance of the creation becomes apparent to the individual. The individual may be saved from error things somehow begin to work out for the individual. So this grace, this mercy of the Absolute begins to be bestowed on the individual as this effort, this initiative and this service begins. This service is essentially doing something for others with no gain for oneself. Something for the universe, for the absolute, or for the Lord, however you will, but with no gain for oneself. Nothing whatsoever for the individual. So this begins to cleanse the being of impurities that are naturally there through the egotistical system that has been working up to now. Fifthly, we are offered worship and honoring. The devotee begins to praise, worship and honor. And this may involve ritualistic worship, it can also be simple dedication of one's entire day. All the activities that take place are dedicated to the service of the Lord. Every activity may become a praise, a praise to the Lord. One may dedicate all one's work to the Absolute and this in a way makes it sacred. And working in this way, one is worshipping the Lord. And this can include all one's day. 
all the work from business to family, all one's day. Mr. McLaren coined a phrase which he gave to the school to allow the attention to rest where the working surfaces meet. And this, if you practice it, has exactly the same effect. Everything that one undertakes becomes a service, a praise. Sixthly, gratitude and prayer. Well, nothing like saying thank you for opening the heart. Isn't that right? A little gratitude goes a long way. But how grateful are we as a general rule? Are we grateful for, the, for our nation? Are we grateful for the day as it dawns? For the rain as it falls sweetly on our shoulders? And for the sun that comes to dry it off? Is there gratitude for all of this? Gratitude for our parents? What a lot we take for granted. Granted rather than grateful. <laughs> this is also the realm of prayer. Real prayer. And the absolute is now perceived to live in the heart of the individual being. To live in the heart of the devotee. So this absolute is now not far away at all. The next phase is where one enters a close relationship with the Lord one becomes or one sees oneself as a personal attendant. It's said to be that stage of being a personal attendant upon the Lord. The individual is said to be humble, obedient, and in waiting, ready to do anything which might please his Lord. How does he please his Lord? Responding to the needs in front of him or acting for the health, happiness and freedom and prosperity of all. This is said to be the will of the absolute and it becomes the will of the devotee. Mother Teresa comes to mind as an example of this. I came across an interview she had with Malcolm Muggeridge, or he had with her, and she was telling when she was with the Loretta Order and going to set up her own order. And she said this, It was a call within my vocation. It was a second calling. It was a vocation to give up even Loretto, where I was very happy, and to go out into the streets and serve the poorest of the poor. And Malcolm Muggeridge said, So you took the decision, or at least in a way, it was taken for you, but you accepted what the inner voice asked of you. 
And she said, I knew it was his will and that I had to follow him. There was no doubt that it was going to be his work. But I had to wait for the decision of the church. So she applied to the bishop and had to wait for an answer. She played the game, as it were. She played within the rules of her order, but knew that she was following the Lord's calling. So she was very much, I'd suggest, a personal attendant upon the Lord. Everyone was treated as the Lord by her. She attended to everyone as though they were the Lord. So the Lord is seen everywhere. Mother Teresa, she did. She felt, she said it, didn't she? That she felt she was serving Christ in the variety of disguises in the slums of Calcutta. The eighth aspect of devotion is friendship. With being a personal attendant on the Lord, clearly a friendship may develop. For example, if you attend a restaurant and you find there's a good waiter there and you come back and the waiter is good, you develop a friendship with that waiter. It naturally develops from service to friendship. Perhaps we're familiar with leaving school, not necessarily at this time of year, but earlier on in the summer, all the sixth years are leaving. We may remember our own, there's a party with the teachers when you're leaving. And all of a sudden the situation changes from so-and-so being your teacher or your headmistress or your headmaster to being a friend. may take a little time, <laughs> but it does happen. And just on leaving school, that relationship changes. Jesus said this also to his disciples. In John chapter 15, verse 15, we were coming near the end. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. In such a state, Shantananda Saraswati says, the devotee is almost a free man, exhibiting great strength of character and adherence to truth, thoroughly clean inside and out, his manners are robust, healthy, and tender. He is always accompanied by the Lord himself. Wherever he moves, peace, tranquility, and cooperation take place. An interesting level of being, this friendship with the Lord. The next is number nine, which we have there... Um, union 
or a complete surrender. So at this level, the individual is fully united and connected with himself. And of this the poets have written, and I quote, O Lord, you are my own self. My intelligence is your consort, my breaths your servants, my body your temple. Whatever I eat, do, walk, work, are offerings to you. When I walk, I am going around you. Whatever I speak is your praise, and all that I do is your worship. Please consider this to be true, and be one with me. And again, if I may, Jesus at the Last Supper spoke in chapter 17 to his disciples. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. I put it to you, this is a quotation, a description of complete unity, complete surrender, Well, these are the nine aspects as given to us. Nine aspects of devotion. So it is comforting to hear that we don't have to accomplish all nine. Any one is sufficient. So while they do, as presented, have a, a hierarchy, if you like, or a gradation, any one aspect is sufficient for an individual 
to achieve unity. Just briefly in order to come to a close for this part of the evening, we may be interested in what aspects of our being act as impediments to this unity, to this devotion. What is it that takes place in our day-to-day -day lives that impedes any aspect of devotion leading us to unity? Well, clearly, firstly, wanting something for myself, regardless of what others are going to get, is an impediment. Selfishness. Fear. We may be afraid of letting go something which we feel we know so well. We may feel we'll have nothing left. There may be the fear of everything being taken away and nothing being left for me. A simple not knowing. An ignorance. We may not have heard sufficient knowledge of the self, of the Absolute, or of the Lord for the ignorance which we have to be dissolved. It could be the attitudes in our hearts, the incessant thinking in the mind, the turbulence in our minds and hearts, our indecisions, these weaknesses hold us back. And how may we develop in devotion? How may we overcome these weaknesses? Firstly, for our hearts, we may regard everything as a gift from the Supreme. If we could regard everything as a gift, Shantananda Saraswati has this to say. When we regard and use everything as a gift from the Supreme, and in this way practice devotion, the other two paths, the one of knowledge and of reasoning, and the active, become clear, efficient, and lead to a long and happy life. Our desires at the moment are like so many strings that pull us towards the world. Let this pull be towards the supreme instead of the world. Be grateful for all that there is. Gratitude opens the heart and turns our thoughts and actions towards a higher being and brings us eventually to unity with that being. So gratitude for the heart. Secondly, the mind. The mind needs to learn to be still. To bring peace to the heart and mind. So for those of us who have attended class in school, we've learnt a pause. We may have learnt meditation. These are very practical and useful exercises to bring stillness to the heart and the mind. 
the mind and heart needs to enter this quietude so that it may be still. Again, these famous words, be still and know that I am God. So be still, mind. Thirdly, in our world of action, again I'd rely on the words of Shantananda Saraswati, he tells us how to practice devotion in action. He says, you do not have to prepare a long scheme for practicing devotion. Whatever you are doing, you can continue to do the same thing. You have only to change your approach. If you are doing anything with a view to personal gain, then your approach should be that I am doing this not for any gain for me, but as a service to God, so that whatever you do, you connect it with the Lord. That becomes devotion. So you do not have to change your course of action in any way. The action is the same, but the object will be different. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening so patiently. Time for a cup of tea. Sorry, are we all back? Very good. Well, welcome. Thank you very much for coming back. So now, what about devotion and philosophy? Very important not to lose sight of the aim. The aim is freedom. Liberation for you. Liberation for all. That's the aim. So devotion is simply a path or a way and it does very much relate to the very nature of man, particularly to the, the heart, the emotion aspect of man. So is there anything you'd like to say on this? I'd love to hear if anything strikes you about devotion because I think it's something that's very close to all of us. Yes, sir. Often I feel I'm living in a world where the mind is prized over the heart, in a very cerebral world. And often I feel a lot of my friends, although I love them a lot, mm. are very cerebral orientated. Do you find that yourself, or is that a load of rubbish? <laughs> no, I think that's valid. And I think gentlemen particularly are not that willing to give expression to their heart and prefer to dwell in the head, as it were, as you say. And I think we just have to be confident that there is a heart, and it is good to express it, and to be generous with it. I think for a man that's the way to begin to express his heart, is through generosity. And that generosity can be to whatever's needed, simply to meet the need. And that need 
can be your Lord. So in this generosity as expressed by the male, it is also devotion and liberating. So it just needs practice, really. You've got to make that step to start. Buy the next round of drinks. You know. I hate to sound controversial, but mm. sometimes I find females more hard-headed hard-headed than I am. So maybe it's, I think it's more of a, a human thing. Though I, I understand what you're saying as well. Yes, also. yes. Maybe. Though, though I have to say my mother is always great when I'm in trouble or I need a few pounds. <laughs> yes, sure. She's always there. With yes. My dad would be more reluctant, I suppose. Yes, yes. I think the thing about the heart is for it not to get sentimental. And that's where all three aspects are available to us. Knowledge, devotion, and action. And it's very easy for the devotional aspect not to be really devotion, but a bit of a quagmire. And so thoughts are not clear and actions aren't resolute. So the real need is to work on, if you like, on all three to bring this out. I, personally, I'd be much more devotion-orientated. I always have been right. willing to go with the heart. But I also understand the quagmire you're talking about. That's very familiar. Yes. Well. Though people mightn't realize it when they see me, that that's there too. Yes, sure. I mean, devotion is perfectly valid as a way. Mm -hmm. And as you progress and work with devotion, knowledge and action will clarify and refine. They will come in total support of the devotion. Yeah, I agree with that. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Not at all. Yes. Just what you say there that the knowledge and action come in support of the devotion. So the knowledge on its own is useless. All three aspects are always available. Yes. So that you have devotion in the center line, is that? Well, it's sort of, if you like, we always think, don't we, of knowledge being a head, devotion being of a heart, and action being limbs, if you like. I think that's why I put it in the middle. But you it does lend power to whatever you do. You explained it all very simply there, how easy it is with the devotion. But we start with the head trying to figure it all out and get stuck there. Well, at least from where I'm sitting, that's what happened. That you try and get it all right in the head first, which is it has to run with the devotion. Yes, you do need knowledge. It is a question of letting whatever you do be a service to the Lord. You're the only one who can do that. As you serve a cup of tea here at the refreshment, you're the only one as you're serving that cup of tea, who can acknowledge within that you're serving the Lord and not Joe Bloggs from down the road. You have a choice. You have a very clear choice. Either you see the Lord or you see Joe Bloggs. So any judgments or anything separate the whole thing? Are out, exactly. Out. So there's no judgments, there's no preferences. Is just service. So if you go back to your first who am I, if you can answer that, 
there's no difference in who's in front of you. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Not at all. I mean, that, this question, what am I, you begin to discover as you progress. I mean, the final step is fully connecting with oneself, full union with the Lord. Why not? We think it's not possible. Yeah, we think uh, too much in the way. Ah, but you don't know me. Etc., <laughs> etc. Et All these obstacles are not needed. All that's needed is that whatever you do, you do it for the Lord. And I think that's very, very natural for us. I mean, consider Ireland and we Irish. Are we intellectual by nature? Would you say we're knowledge seekers by nature? No. Would you say we're active by nature? <laughs> I think that answers it, doesn't it? <laughs> so, are we devotional by nature? Yes. So, it behoves us to get, you know, a handle on this. If it's our natural modus operandi, it's our natural way of working. Yes, anything further? Yes, John. Could you say something about the the role of religion, or formal religion, or the usefulness, or, or lack of, or whatever, with regard to devotion. Mm. I'm really not qualified to say very much. Only what, in preparing, I've come across, really. But a lot of things start ringing bells when you look at these aspects of devotion. How they are in... Christianity as it comes to us today. Clearly there's a lot of hearing, there's a lot of singing, there's a lot of remembering. All of these aspects are there. Initiative, yes. Well, at some stage someone's got to do the flowers. You know? And at some point in time a lady says, yes, I'll do them next Sunday. Service starts. At some point in the school, you say, yes, I'll prepare tea. Service starts. Honoring, worshipping, I mean, all of these are there. And I'm quite sure you could go through them in detail. As we said, like on pilgrimages, what was the cloisters for? Was this not for reading and contemplation of the reading for the day? the passage for the day, uh, this remembering. I think the answer is yes, there's a lot there that will connect or can be connected to the traditions of the church. I'm afraid I don't have it in detail. Could you expand on gratitude, please? Yes. It's interesting, isn't it, that we need to expand on gratitude. I expect you know a lot about gratitude. I think we all do. We just have to allow an acknowledgement 
of that to enter the heart, to allow us to be grateful for the breath that enters the nose. Um, and I think this gratitude, doesn't it come when one is contented, when there is a stillness in the being, you automatically become grateful, don't you? So by becoming still, one can allow this expansion and natural gratitude to take place. It is just to be grateful. I think if you're leaving a shop and you say thank you, there's an opening of the heart. We mustn't be afraid of opening the heart. Uh, very often we think it's a sort of, the, the way to be is to be individualistic and contained and very much yourself in this small form. And this is very limiting. So we must be confident really, gain a confidence to open our heart, allow our eyes and ears to open and acknowledge the need that there is around us, in everybody really, to be acknowledged and to be grateful. I mean, I mentioned it, it's funny, I mean, I don't know how we all wake in the morning. I wake with all sorts of moods and ideas in the mind. But we can make an effort to address those moods and attitudes with which we awake each day with a gratitude for another day. I mean, there was nothing wrong with being grateful for the day, you know, kneeling down at your bedside and being grateful to the Lord. It's a very humbling and very expansive attitude to go to sleep with. And why not wake up with that as well? We can begin almost to build it into our system, to look the petrol attendant in the eye and say thank you. You know, just expand our gratitude. That all right? Thank you. Thank you. Could you just elaborate a little bit on the, um, you spoke about being at one with what the action you were, you were doing, you, you talked about us digging and right. connecting with, couldn't quite understand actually how you connect as such. Right. Uh, my own experience in digging the garden is you're digging the garden. <laughs> probably good. mind is racing somewhere else, I don't know. Was it? Is it? I don't know. Right. Because I've never actually asked myself, All right. what am I thinking of when I'm digging the garden? Do you enjoy garden? digging the garden? Well, I, I enjoy gardening. Right. Okay. Yes. Well, that's the key. It very often is in these areas of activity, very often our hobbies, that we enjoy. And then the question is, what really do we enjoy in this activity? Is it the activity, or is it in fact the rest? Well, I've actually never asked myself that question. No. Because I've, I've never consciously asked that question yeah. of myself. So yeah. when, you, when you mention it today, does that therefore mean for every activity you're engaged in that you should check yourself. Am I conscious of what I'm doing right now? 
You may, yes. You may come to rest between your activities. Obviously, there is activity taking place when you're digging or when you're weeding or when you're walking, but there's no reason why rest does not accompany that activity. Now, the more that comes into the being, the freer the being becomes. It's said of a wise man, when he walks, he just walks, and there's nothing else going on inside him. For most of us, that's an enviable state of uh, clarity. But that's undoubtedly the direction. And that's the important thing for us at this stage, isn't it? It's the direction towards this freedom. That although activity is taking place, there's freedom. There's a stillness with that. So it's the body moving. It's not the mind moving. It's not the heart in anxiety as to where it's going. It's simply body moving. Practically, what does that mean one does in activity? Nothing. But are you conscious of doing nothing? Um, or, you know, like I dig the garden. I yes. Like, you know, You're conscious of body digging garden. You see, I dig the garden. If you would, let's analyze philosophically that statement. Who is I? Is I this fickle mind that's dreaming of the office last week? Is this I this foot that is pushing the spade into the ground? Or is this I simply the witness of all this activity. And in the moment of action, I, I might be a number of these things, depending on identification. As it were, there are steps and analysis, really, which can take place in order to free the identification with your body, with your heart, or with your mind. And so much of the discoveries on the way of knowledge, primarily we're speaking of now, are to do with discovering what I'm not. Because I think I'm this conglomerate, don't I, of body, mind, and emotions. I think that's what I am. And there's no stability among them. There's no certainty. There's no, as it were, truth. There's no stability and constancy within this conglomerate. It's always changing. Changes with the weather. Summer, these sunny days, it feels great much of the time. In fact, of late, I'm getting a bit fed up with the sun. <laughs> so, is this what I am? Surely not. So the discovery is much more about what I'm not, and hence what I am is the witness of it all. Now it's to discover that in practice that the real freedom lies. And that's essentially what the school is teaching. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anybody else?
You did say if you only had one, you had all of them. I think I've got it, but I'd like if you would clarify it. Yes, sure. Any one aspect of devotion can lead to complete unity. They are steps, if you like. They're set out as steps, obviously leading to complete union as the final step. But even for someone who does take 100%, if you like to call it that, on the way of devotion, and to seriously work through each step, I mean, it sounds almost beyond our realm of comprehension to consider that. But to take each step and to work through it, it may take time. We tend to be practical in our approach. We have families, we live in the world, we uh, have jobs, we spend our time in these ways. So the need is for us to begin to hear, perhaps. I mean, how about, you know, as you say, hearing the husband, hearing your wife, hearing the children, hearing the boss, hearing your staff, actually hearing them throughout the day, rather than, you know, trying to keep their sounds out. Do you follow the difference? Because much of our communication difficulties today may be in this realm, that we're not actually hearing what other people are saying, the sounds that they're making. And that will undoubtedly grow towards union and can lead to union. I mean, that's just the first one. So it's in that way that I think, practically speaking, we may proceed step by step. Coming to the stage where one becomes a personal attendant upon the Lord may seem very far away for us. But clearly, if one did see oneself as a personal attendant upon the Lord, and any a call was seen, was heard within, as a call from the Lord. That's very, yes, very lovely. So I think it's for us to begin to practice. And it's interesting that an evening like this is effectively information, isn't it? It's a sort of an aspect of knowledge a transfer or a passing on of some information. It really does become knowledge for you and I as we begin to practice it. So it isn't that we gain knowledge particularly this evening, but there's a transfer of information. But that can become knowledge then as we practice. Whatever aspect or whatever it is that appeals to us, in fact, and what appeals to us effectively is what we've heard. <laughs> yes. Seeing as I have the mic. Yes, good. <laughs> Excellent. Put a bit of practice um, in. There's a lot to take in throughout the, the lecture. 
it, it, it sunk in all right, bits and pieces, but I'm not sure what I was left with after it. Right. It'll probably come clear during the week, maybe. You had said, I think it was the Shankar Chariot or something, that said something in one word. What would your sort of one line of devotion be, or how would you explain it? In I'll read what you may be referring to, which is that last, the very last sentence, I think, which we have here. So it is, whatever you're going to do, continue to do the same thing. But you do have to change your approach. You know, so easily, if you think you've got to improve yourself or change yourself, we think we've got to somehow change the physical circumstances in which we're acting, don't we? You know, if I had a better job, if I had a job, <laughs> then I could proceed in this work. I could be more devoted if whatever, if I had a job, if my wife had a job, whatever it is, that we always think there needs to be a change. If I was doing what I really loved, I could be more devoted. I could never be devoted washing up. I mean, how am I to practice devotion while I'm washing up? So, what does he say? He says, you don't have to have a long scheme to practice devotion. Whatever you're doing, continue to do the same thing. You only have to change your approach. So if you're doing anything with a view to personal gain, then your approach should be that I'm doing this not for any gain for me, but as a service to God. Now, it may be very clear to you that you're not doing the wash-up for your own good. You may be very convinced about that. You're not peeling the potatoes for your own good. Everybody knows that. But what about leaving this sense that it's for you or it's not for you and allowing whatever you do to be a service to God. Now the question is, what if you don't believe in God? So what if you don't believe in God? Well, why not let it be carried out for all? There's no doubt about it that there's a lot more people in the world than just you or just me. There's all of us. So let whatever you do be done as a service to all, carried out with that attitudinal change, with that emotion, that devotional change, that it's not for you, but it's for all. That's all he says. That's the one step he gives us. Yeah, that's what I was <coughs> thinking of when we were going through the, the nine steps, I was thinking it, it couldn't be an overnight thing. You're not going to miraculously wake up in the morning and start doing these. It wouldn't come from the heart. You wouldn't no. automatically do that from the heart in, in the morning. I mean, you might say, okay, great, I'll take initiative and I'll go out and I'll help everyone. But you're not going to be helping everyone. You're going to be helping yourself. Yes. <laughs> helping yes. yourself to feel better about That's something it. that I am. Yes. Mm. But you could begin to spot that attitude in oneself 
And the one step that's only needed is to do what you do, but as a service to all. So you've got to get yourself to work. You've got to put on the kettle when you get to work. Everybody makes a cup of tea first thing in the office or wherever it is. So do it, not for you, but as a service to all. It's simply a change in your heart. Now your head might say that's ridiculous. I mean, you're only being semantic. It's only playing with things. But there is a difference when something is changed in your heart. There is a change. A complete change. And the change is not just for you, it is for all. And in a way, we're very fortunate in Ireland. We have tremendous heart. We acknowledge heart. You know, Keith Wood comes on, tears, haven't lost whatever game was he lost, Australia. We played our hearts out. And everybody knows exactly what he means. So hearts are familiar to us, we're very familiar. And we do know how to use them as against the incessant chatter of the monkey, if you like, the monkey in the head. What's the latest character in that film, Return of the Ring or something? What's his name? The little E.T. sort of guy. Yeah, precious. Ah, my precious. What's his name? What's this little fellow? Gollum. Well, you know the way he goes on. It's just like the chattering part of the mind, isn't it? It's just like that chattering part of the mind that is no good to anybody, that state that really needs to be left. So we all know that as against the heart, the steady fullness, generosity, and peace that the heart contains. So that's the only thing we need to do, change the attitude with which we do anything. Do you think that the, the more affluent and advanced the society becomes, it's people are less given to the concept of devotion? For example, like, I mean, if you go to the, the richer countries, like, the people are less given to help each other, while in the poorer countries, people are more willing to share the little that they have and to help each other? Yes. And why would that be, do you think? Because surely if people have more money and they're more advanced, they should have more to give. Yes. It can only be down to selfishness, can't it? So basically, the more that we have, the more selfish we become. That appears to be the case. Mm -hmm. But my submission will be that it need not be the case. In fact, it's the opposite. It can be the opposite. For example? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably, all of this belongs to the Lord. And he gives us everything. And that's really the key. That all of this is the Lord's. As soon as we start talking about what you have and what I have and what others have, 
it's claimed and broken down and it's into claims and boxes but it's all the Lord's and I think that's what we need to see rather than they have more than I have or I have more than they have and it's all the Lord's and he gives all And I think if we work from there, then, well, that's the way forward for devotion. For example, what's happening here, like in, in Ireland, is that people are forgetting more about the Lord as the country becomes more affluent. Yes, that's why we need philosophy. And I think that's why we need remembrance. We drove through a number of towns on the way down and Mr. Grace is quite an authority on various monasteries of various settlements as we come through them. One of them was St. Finian, 3,000 scholars studied there in the 7th century, 3,000 and you're through it before you can blink. We were a bit slower, there was a bit of a traffic jam. <laughs> but it is very short. So, a country with this body of remembrance in its history, and of this body of study in its history, we do need to remember. We need to continue this tradition. And that's up to you and me. That's up to those who wake up to it. The whole tradition of the church is, is undoubtedly under, a, what, under attack. Within a very short period of years, they've done some, some members have done some things which should have been sorted out before this. Yes. Well. The intake of young men taking up positions in the church has been in decline for many, many years. That would be very nice to wonder why, really seriously, and begin to see what's needed there. Clearly this devotional element of organized religion to be re-established. I mean, the elder son in the family used to go into the priesthood, didn't he? Or, yes? That was very much part of the, the pride of the family was to have the elder boy in the church. You're quite right, we do forget, we have forgotten the importance of the Almighty. And we do need to re-establish that in ourselves, in our beings, in our houses, our families and our businesses. And then truth can and will prevail. Yes, very good. Thank you. Yeah. Anything further? Yes. Just a, a little story. I was involved in building a house some time ago. And, you know, you get these egotistical aspects when you're doing a project like that. Something you want or something you, 
you know, your wife wants or something you're pushing for here, you're pushing for there. And this sort of play was going on and it became very obvious this is not the way to proceed at all. And the words of a psalm came to mind. And that really ruled the day from there on. Except the Lord build the house, he that build it laboreth in vain. And it just changes the whole way you go about it. So the scriptures and the words of the wise are very, very useful if they're resorted to. And we can all resort to them by reading them primarily. And then they do come to your aid in practical life. So it's very important to read the scriptures. It doesn't go in between the two ears on its own. <laughs> so it is useful to read the scriptures and it's useful also for us to practice quietness so that we can hear. So those of us in the school were introduced to the pause. So practice coming to rest. Practice the pause. And bring that into your family. The importance of rest, of stillness, is not appreciated, really. It's being forgotten. Because this kingdom is within. And presumably the Lord lives in his kingdom. So to make contact with our Lord in this kingdom within. We've got to become still and listen. Sir, you are going to say some more. Is there any one of those single items of devotion which is more important than the others that you've written down there? Would I have a favorite? Yes, or is any one of them any one more particularly important? more important than the others? Well, hearing is very important, isn't it? Hearing is very, very important. And if you can do nothing else but hear about the Lord, hear about the glories of the creation, the wonders of the Absolute, that's very, very useful. The fifth step, honoring and worshipping, we have there. The fifth step comes in the middle. It is a worship, but I would propose that all our work can be worship. Everything you do. In fact, may I just read it to you here? It, in a way, was a passage which I was going to end with. But when one offers to me with devotion a leaf, a flower, a fruit, water, that I eat... Whatever thou doest, whatever thou eatest, whatever thou sacrificest, whatever thou givest, in whatever austerity thou engagest, do it as an offering to me. Thus shalt thou be liberated from the bonds of action 
which are productive of good and evil and liberated you shall come to me. So whatever we do can be an act of worship as we attend to it and our motive force in doing it is to please the Lord, not me. So given that we are active in the world, given that we've got jobs to do, we've families, we've work to do, do it as a worship of the Lord. Do it as an offering to God. So I think this fifth one is also very, very important. And I think, in fact, <laughs> the more I think, <laughs> as one practices performing whatever one has to do, the being becomes quiet and hearing operates. So I think the fifth one. Have you a preference? I yes. thought that hearing would have been, well, yes. for me the most important because if you don't listen, you can't learn. Exactly. Yes. Very good. And, and that's exactly where I was. But then as I begin to develop this fifth one, I'm inclined to think there's action involved there. There's everything that you do. And if, as you do it as an offering, as you work, you become quiet. You know, you dig the garden, you start off, there's all sorts of stuff going on. But as you settle in and just turn the sod after sod, you quieten down. The system within quietens down. And you hear the birds. So, with whatever we do, I think the rest fall in. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Anybody else? You're very welcome to take down what we have there on the board, if you wish. Well, perhaps we should just end. I'll just read that little passage once more, if I may. When one offers to me with devotion a leaf, a flower, a fruit, water, that I eat, offered with devotion by the pure-minded. Whatever thou doest, whatever thou eatest, whatever thou sacrificest, whatever thou givest, in whatever austerity thou engagest, do it as an offering to me. For thou shalt be liberated from the bonds of action, which are productive of good and evil results. And liberated, thou shalt come to me. And that's the important thing, is to keep the aim in mind. The aim is liberation. The path, devotion. And through this path we may discover, what am I? Well, good luck with all your efforts. I expect the monasteries on the way between here and Dublin will be full. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good luck. <laughs>